Welcome to Pilgrim Lost. Come walk with us while we explore life in hopeful motion. Hello, everybody. It's Pilgrim Lost. I'm Tony Kriz. Great to have you. And today I have a brand new friend, a friend who's so new that Bryson Guptill, I've only met a few minutes ago, which is exciting. Bryson, welcome to Pilgrim Lost. I'm glad to be here, Tony. Uh, we're going to get into the island walk here and talk about Prince Edward Island and um, this phenomenal pilgrimage that you've helped instigate. But before we get there, um, Bryson, what do you know about Pilgrim Lost? Well, from the title, it sounds like uh, you're a post-pilgrimage kind of group that uh, tries to discover who people are after the uh, after the pilgrim pilgrimage is over. So, uh, obviously, you're associated with the Camino de Santiago, and so yeah. am I. So, uh, I, I kind of get it. You have been on the Camino. I have, yeah. Oh, good. Well, that'll we can reflect on that some. Really. Um, to put it as simply as possible is I've just met, you know, dozens of people here in Portland, Oregon, but, you know, hundreds on the Camino and other long pilgrimages who just talk about how transformative the experiences are. And this podcast began with my friend Kari Gale and I just discussing how do we how do we live the pilgrim life every day? Is there a way, do, do you have to, do you have to fly to the side of the world? Is that required to be a pilgrim? Well, that doesn't make any sense because that would mean that being a pilgrim is predicated on privilege and we want to believe that it's possible for everybody. And so we're just trying to have conversations about pilgriming and trekking and what does it mean to be human and transformed? So it's kind of what we're trying to do. And actually, my friend Kari Gale, who was the co-host for the first couple of years of this podcast, she's the first person who told me about the Island Walk, believe it or not. Awesome. She was, um, it was on the podcast and she mentioned that she and her sister are planning to go um, next spring. I believe it was next spring. So um, that's where I first heard about it. So let's start there. Tell me about the Island Walk, if you could. Well, we are... Um... Camino pilgrims as well, and like you, we uh, we met a lot of people along the way, and uh, we had we had a wonderful time with them. Uh, for us, it was thirty four days, and and uh, we came back from that experience saying, uh, you know, what is it about the Camino that has people going back again and again? And like you, we thought, uh, do they actually? Do you have to do the Camino? Uh, the walk in Spain uh, every time to get this this feeling of connection with the outside world and with uh, with people you don't really know and uh, and my sense was that really wasn't a necessary part of being a pilgrim or being a, a long distance walker the experience itself was uh, was enough and probably could be transferred to other places and so we tested that theory by walking the road of Vincentina in Portugal in 2019. Uh, we had friends here who had done it and uh, they said it was, uh, you know, sh a little shorter than the, the Camino. It's in Portugal, but it's not part of the Camino. It has a lot less people walking. And so we, we decided we wanted to go to Portugal and have that, that experience. 
So we did walk the uh, road to Vincentina and we did it in this time of year. Um, we did it in April, May, uh, 2019. And we hardly met anyone, you know, it was almost empty, hmm. but uh, it was still an amazing experience. And the people we did meet were fascinating. And, and the uh, accommodations uh, where we stayed really didn't know anything about the walk. They, they just knew that, you know, we were clients that were coming into town. So uh, I came away from that one saying, you know, you could create something like the Camino as long as you have the people, you could create it almost anywhere. And why not in Prince Edward Island, which is uh, the smallest province in Canada on the East Coast. Um, and it attracts an enormous number of, of, um, of uh, tourists each year. Uh, but it only has a population of 160,000. So it's a, it's, it's a tiny jurisdiction, um, mostly a rural kind of landscape with some fantastic scenery. And, uh, and people are not used to walking and they usually come here in automobiles. So um, I said, uh, I, wa I want to walk around Prince Edward Island. Uh, we, we have a network of trails here, uh, a rail trail network, that was established in 1989, some beautiful trails. And the network goes uh, up the center of the island, essentially, with some branch lines. But that uh, up the center misses the whole point of, of living on an island, which is you want to get out to the coast. Right. So there was something strange about, about the Confederation Trail, which is very popular here with cyclists especially. So uh, I wanted to incorporate as much of the Confederation Trail as I could, because it's a great spine and um, it's kind of the backbone of the island walk, but we go out to the, the coastline so that we do a circle around Prince Edward Island. And uh, it turns out it's about the same length as the Camino. So it takes about a month to do it. A lot of people thought we were kind of crazy if initially. There were quite a few communal walkers here, but. They really thought, you know, oh, gee, walking in our own backyard. I don't know if that would work. <laughs> okay, so, you, uh, so. You, you decided to take the Camino and basically bring it to North America or North America adjacent to an island yeah. off the east coast of Canada, Prince Edward Island. Very accessible. I mean, it's just north of the U.S. border, so it's very accessible to North Americans. Right. And you you began to, to build it out. I mean, you there was this pre-existing trail, but... Then you did you actually have to create trails or did you just build, you know, add the network together so that followed the coastline? How did all that work? Yeah. So it turns out that um, that Island Trails, which is the organization I belong to, has a network of hiking trails all over the island as well. So I thought, well, why don't we try to incorporate some hiking trails, some what we call here red dirt roads because our soil is very red. Uh, a lot of the red dirt roads, some of the secondary roads, and try to make a route that goes around the island, but essentially uh, avoids all the major roads. So um, we we do have to use some of the shoulder of secondary roads, but it's a minor portion of this. And when we walk the Camino, uh, there are quite a few people who end up walking on the roads and on the Camino as well, as you know. Right. Um, if you're not on the road, you're right beside it and you're crossing over some major arteries a lot of the time. Uh, so you see traffic a lot. Uh, you don't actually on on the island walk because we don't have very many cars. As I said, the population is only 160,000 nice. and the island is 
200 miles tip to tip. So, you know, it's, it's a pretty rural landscape. So you're, you're, you're alone on the road if you're on the road most of the time. Uh, and then you're using this network of dirt roads, some trails that Island Trails has, some boardwalks. We've got 50 beaches. So in some cases we're walking on the beach and we're walking on the Confederation Trail. So we've got this half of the route is the Confederation Trail. A quarter of it is red dirt roads. And the other quarter is, um, is secondary roads, beaches, and uh, and other boardwalks and other things like that. Because of the uh, the history of the Camino, there's, um, you know, every point along the way, there's a sign that points and tells you where to go. And you kind of always know how far you are from the next town. Are those kinds of directions, do those exist as part of part of the island walk? Well, I thought that was our biggest challenge uh, to get the PEI government to recognize that this thing could be quite big. Hmm. Um, the PEI has some very, very restrictive signage laws. So we don't allow people to put up billboards and there are no signs on the road that aren't highway signs. So uh, it's in order to preserve the environment to make it, make it look beautiful. Uh, I understand that. So how could we break into that, that uh, very strict rule structure to put little signs up that showed, um, showed the island walk? And we initially thought maybe if they use signs like they do in Europe with little signs that have little stripes on posts, right. that's, what we were, that's what we were aiming for. And uh, the signage people said, nope, can't do that, won't huh. do that. Um, but what they did agree to to their credit is maybe we can tie this into our, our coastal routes somehow. So we'll, we'll put these Island walk signs on the, uh, on the coastal routes and uh, then they'll kind of blend in. So that's what they did. Now we've got signs and every turn on the Island walk route. And we're the first organization that's ever achieved this. And that was, our, that was our big success that we've managed to get the signs that look something like my hat here uh, on the, um, on the highways all around the, all around PEI. Um, and that was a leap of faith of, uh, of the tourism people here that we would try to do that. We did that in 2019 and then we had COVID. So uh, right. <laughs> nobody showed up, right. but uh, then in 2021 uh, people started to drift in. And uh, now in 2022, we've got a lot of people coming here. So it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun. When I first heard about Prince Edward Island, I, I mistakenly thought it was on the West Coast, but it's on the East Coast. Um, what's it adjacent to? How far is it from like the nearest U.S. airport? Like, is it fairly easy to get to? Yeah, it's um, as I said, we have a lot of a lot of uh, American tourists who come here, um, and quite a few people who Americans who own property here actually. Going back to the 70s, it was a big thing for Americans to buy property on PEI. Uh, it's a short drive. I mean, you cross it it's just north of Bangor and um, it's Trans-Canada Highway the whole way. So it's it's an easy drive from St. John, New Brunswick. It's maybe a two hour drive to uh, to the bridge, you come across uh, the Confederation Bridge and um, you're here. You know? So it's a, probably a three hour drive from the U.S. border. Um, okay. uh, and you, or if you don't want to drive, you can fly here. So we have, a, uh, 
you know, an airport with a lot of airlines coming in here. And uh, as I said, we have we have a lot of tourist people coming here in the summer. Uh, the appeal from a, a tourism point of view is that you don't have to come in July and August if you're just going to walk. If you want to walk, you can walk the same timetable as the Camino, basically. So uh, oh. uh, in our case, it's the end of April, uh, 1st of May, you can start walking and you can walk until mid-November. Um, so it's, it's much like the Camino. The Camino of the Pyrenees, as you know, closes down. Yeah. in November and doesn't open up again till the end of March. So, uh, yeah. yeah, same sort of season. So um, go to theislandwalk.ca. Theislandwalk.ca the is the website. There are maps there, right? Right. For, and as a total neophyte who's never been to Prince Edward Island, I could come and show up with my map and find my way around pretty, you could. pretty clearly. Yeah. Are there, are there, I know you've got like 31 stages and they average about 20 kilometers each. Uh, are, there, are there places to stay at the end of each stage? Are there guest houses like on the Camino with relatively like affordable housing or how's all that work? Yeah, so we're set up basically uh, to handle a lot of people coming here in July and August. So there's, there's 1,800 licensed tourism establishments here. Uh, most of them are B&Bs, so it's a B&B kind of setup. Uh, and um, basically, uh, you need to reserve, you probably should reserve in advance, because this year, being at the end of the pandemic, it's going to be very popular to come to Prince Edward Island uh, in July and August. So if you're coming in the, in the shoulder seasons, uh, you're going to have a lot better chance to find a accommodation at a reasonable price. But expect to pay probably a hundred bucks for accommodation. Uh, okay. So you're you're gonna, it's not going to be tenting uh, unless you want a tent, and it's not going to be uh, staying in albergues because there aren't enough people doing the walk yet. Eventually there will be albergues. I think there are two. There's one albergue that's that's now finished and they're open for business, and there's another one that's in the planning stage that will be open next year. But we don't have enough people coming. My guess is this year that we'll probably have about 200 people doing the walk and 100 of them will complete the whole thing. So, it, you know, it's kind of organic growth, uh, not like 30,000 you'd expect on the on the Camino Francais every year. So this year is going to be a big year on the Camino. They'll probably have 35,000. Here we're going to have maybe 200 walkers. So uh, it's uh, it's not going to be that kind of crowd. But... Uh, the good news is that on that website, you can find accommodations. You can, uh, they're, they're very nice accommodations. <laughs> they're not shared accommodations the way they are in the Camino. You're going to have a nice three-star B&B or four or five-star if you're inclined. Um, and if you want to do tenting, there'll be tenting too. But my guess is in the first couple of years, it'll be mostly a kind of a European sort of model where in-to-in into in BNBs is kind of the way it's going to be set up, I expect, in the first couple of years. And people will be uh, will be getting transportation because the the end of the stages, if you want, um, the 32 different days that we talk about, aren't always somewhere where there's uh, accommodation close by. So in that case, what we've got is uh, the people who are part of our accommodation network, they'll come pick you up. So what happened last year, because last year was the first season we operated, we had 
Um, we were open for business by late July and we had people coming here um, by August and started to walk and they were making bookings at B&Bs and the B&B operators would have, they all have cars. I mean, <laughs> we're a civilized society. Uh, the B&B operators would come and pick them up and drive them back to the trail in the morning. It's amazing. And so that's the way it's work. That's the way it's working. And we, and you can do that with five or six different accommodations for the whole trip because it's a circle. So if you wow. uh, the whole island is a big circle. Oh, I see. So you start someplace and you'll meet. Uh, you'll come back past the place that you uh, stayed at uh, on your way back around. Oh, I see. Okay, but essentially, I can come and I can park my car and walk for thirty-one days, and I'll arrive back in my car. And that's right. And what? what what am I? What am I going to see over those thirty-one days? Tell me about sort of visually the experience. Well, you'll see uh, beautiful Prince Edward Island, which is uh, it, which is quite remarkable. I mean, it's it's on the Atlantic Ocean. Um, it's part of the Gulf of St. Lawrence. This is on the North Shore. I mean, there's some spectacular scenery, um, and um, both the tips are especially stunning with lighthouses and crashing waves and beaches and that sort of thing. So North Cape and uh, and East Point are especially stunning, but uh, North Shore is the home of Anne of Green Gables. So you've got uh, that historical experience, um, Green Gables House. You've got uh, lots of lots of tourist accommodation. You have some very fine restaurants, um, and you've got on the south coast some uh, some spectacular beaches some some quaint little towns you're walking through about 30 towns and villages um you're walking through two cities um, but the route because the confederation trail exists uh you can walk right through summerside for example and stay on the trail the whole way through so uh, because it was a rail line that to summerside you, you have a similar route that goes right into the uh, the cities so you've got some some beautiful trails themselves, and you've got uh, some spectacular vistas when you uh, get out to the ocean. So uh, it's it's really it's really stunning. We're having a little bit of um, transmission troubles, um, so but I'm just going to keep pressing on, Bryson, because I don't want to I don't want to miss out on this. Okay. But uh, you are you're getting a little choppy and um, a little choppy but, in places. Okay. The thing, um, the thing I really would love to hear is there's a whole lot of people who like trekking or who have been on long pilgrimages, but very few of them come back home and decide they're going to build one, you know, back at home. They're going to help do all the work that it takes to organize and advocate and bring the right stakeholders together. And why do you care so much? Like, what is it about pilgrimage what is it about these long treks to you that's so important that you would you and your friends would dedicate so much energy to this i mean what what has it brought to your life that you would want to do this and bring this experience to north america yeah well that's a really good question and uh i've had that question from quite a few people um and it's a hard thing to explain unless you've been on a, a long distance walk but the the thing that struck me when we did it is uh, I started off saying okay we could do this thing and and I made a commitment to do it and then I went online I went to the local newspaper and 
you know, opened my mouth and said, you know, this could be the next big thing. Why don't we just do this? Uh, and then, then I was committed, right? <laughs> so I got a big spread in the local newspaper about, about this is a great idea. And, um, and then I had to do it. So, uh, and my, my partner said, are you kidding? You know? <laughs> so um, she was a little less enthusiastic than me, although she did walk a lot of days with me. But I did find some friends who wanted to do it. They were all, all Camino pilgrims. And uh, so four of us did it. And, uh, and we were just blown away by the welcoming nature of these people that we met along the way. Hmm. who also felt um, a shared camaraderie with, uh, with this idea of, uh, of place and, uh, and sort of a, um, everyone looking for a simpler way of life, um, a, uh, a less hurried um, sort of contemplative sort of journey. And, uh, and walking is something that it does that for you. And we found it in the people where we didn't meet a whole lot of people on the walk, of course, uh, because it was new, but we met people who lived here who really felt the passion. And so uh, what's, what's really struck me about this once we've had it operating for a year now is the people that are doing the walk are running into people along the way, the hosts who feel the same way, who just love meeting new people, trying to get into their heads, uh, sharing a common life experience. Uh, and so it's kind of contagious. And there's something about the contemplative nature of long distance walking that gives that to you. You know, you don't, uh, you're, you're, you're strolling, you're not, uh, you're not plugged in, you're, uh, you're just experiencing life as it comes. And, and, uh, any number of people uh, who've written about it in the last year say, wow, this is something we had no idea. So uh, it's that feeling that I want to share with people and uh, to get them to, uh, to sense that, I mean, maybe you can't get this everywhere, but you sure can get it in our little rural backyard here and, uh, and a route that goes around and captures scenery, but also gives you the experience of meeting all these new folks and uh, sharing your life experience with them there's something really compelling about that. So, so I guess that's it. That it's the um, it's the extended contemplation that comes with walking, coupled with this kind of encountering of other people, this human on human shared story experience that you're basically administrating for people, and hopefully thousands and thousands of people over the years to come, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, it just created in me a passion to try to do this. And, um, and I mean, I won't do it forever, but I've put a lot of energy in the last two years trying to connect with the right people. But now that I think that it's rolling, uh, I can step back and the folks that are, that are really uh, the professionals are trying to uh, orchestrate it all. Our, our vision is that uh, Island Trails is, is sponsoring it for the first couple of years as we get it going, but we'd like to pull back and then have have the um, the network uh, start to pick it up, and, and they are. So we've got a network of, of Facebook followers who are you know created a group where they're all participating in discussions, and it's it's growing by in, in an organic way, which is sort of what we'd like to see it do, and and that's that's happening on its own accord. 
and uh, and we can we can step back so that uh, it will it will run itself in the in the years going ahead and that's the way it should be that's great anything um any other encouragements you have to our community about just these pilgrim practices the lifestyle of walking why those things are so important any other thoughts you have that we would we can glean from well, it's, it's simplicity in life. It seems to me that when you pack everything in a bag that you can you know, carry on your back, uh, you, you get the idea of, man, we really don't need a whole lot more. And in these times when uh, we see, you know, after, after 50 years of peace, we now see uh, the, uh, the result of, uh, of warfare. Uh, mm. You know, we're, we live in such a, a blessed time. So to have this opportunity to have to go back to a simple life where people can just uh, interact with each other as as human beings. I think that's uh -huh. that's something blessed that um, that we may not always have. So we have it now. So let's uh, let's take advantage of it in North America and uh, and experience it while while we can. And, uh, and this is a place where you can do it. It's great, Bryson Guptill. Am I pronouncing that correct? You are. Uh, he is the chairman of the Island Walk Committee. And uh, you can learn more about walking around Prince Edward Island at the islandwalk.ca. Uh, his experiences there uh, were written up in National Geographic. And uh, we'll put that link on, on the show notes. You also have a book. You have an ebook that people can get on Etsy called The Island Walk, a digital book. People want to, it's basically a, like a Camino guide, a pilgrim's guide to um, the island walk that walks through what you'll see and how to interpret it and where to stay and the, the, what the experience is as well as sort of the nuts and bolts. Uh, anything else you'd like to say before we let you go, sir? Well, there's a paperback too, if somebody uh, wants a paper version. I didn't put the link in, but yeah. Well, then we'll make sure we get that from you and add that to the show notes as well. Um, I know my friend Kari would like to let you know that she's going to come soon and enjoy the, uh, the island walk. And I hope I get a chance to see it someday as well. Thanks for Great being here. People. Great people. All right. Great to chat with you, Tony. Thank you, sir. Everybody, this is Pilgrim Lost. And we want to thank you for getting lost with us. Please follow us at, at Pilgrim Lost. And at, the, at pilgrimlost.com, also, um, we have a Patreon account. If you want to go check that out and, and be a part of Pilgrim Lost in a deeper way. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bryson. And everyone, have a blessed day. Thank you for walking with us. To stay connected, visit us at pilgrimlost.com. Please comment share, and respond.